we begin to ask a very, very simple question in the end, and that is, what are you losing? What are you afraid of losing? And that is such a profound question, because if you spend a little bit of time. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your host for the Leading People First podcast, where we explore how leaders are prioritizing people in the workplace to create a better employee experience. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast as well as our YouTube channel where we talk about the latest news and how it affects the employee experience. As humans, we often shy away from scenarios that make us uncomfortable and nervous. And I don't blame you, it's our brains just trying to protect us. The thing is, great people first leaders don't shy away from loss or conflict, they embrace it. This is why I talk with Sven Lau, TEDx speaker, founder of Eyes Up Training where he is transforming leaders and organizations to become more emotionally intelligent. So let's lead through the conflict and see what he has to say and dive on in. Hey Sven, thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited to talk to you because uh, you know you are someone who is going against the grain and you have a fantastic story. And I wanted to share a quick word of praise from Frankie Cook, who shared with me Sven has helped me a lot in my own personal growth. He is an inspirational and friendly individual who has a drive to help people. He uses a methodical and analytical approach to encourage others to reach down into their emotions and with his knowledge helps you make sense of them. He has taught me what it means to be a leader and has gifted me a lifelong skill to analyze my own emotions for taking steps forward and achieving my values. So Sven, thank you again for coming on the Leading People First podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much, Chris, for inviting me here. I, I loved working with Frankie, by the way. And thank you, Frankie, for, for sharing this because it, it just goes deep. I can just, I can feel it. And wow. Yeah, thank you. To kick things off, you talk a lot about the necessity to be curious and to ask critical questions. And thinking outside the box is not about how much information you have, but how many unanswered questions you have. What are you curious about right now? What are some of the unanswered questions that you have that keep you up at night right now? There are always things that keep me up. Um, I am, especially kind of in this whole emotional development side that I'm working in, um, there are so many unanswered questions, um, especially like, you know, where are, the, where are the gaps? Where, why are we not growing personally so quickly? Or why are we having all these problems with each other? And I have a lot of why questions, not judgmental. You know, I know, I know somebody said to me like, oh, don't ask why. It can come across judgmental. And for me, why is one of those questions is like, I need to ask that question. Um, not, not to be judgmental. For me, not to, to judge things. It is really to come around the corner and, and see like, you know, to try to see from a different perspective and coming from a different point. And that is definitely one of the things that keeps me up at night and, and also to see the world develop right now. I mean, you know, when I discovered my life story that I shared in my TEDx, um, I discovered that only two and a half years ago. And one of the crazy things was that I became immediately aware I need to tell my life story because I just suddenly realized like, oh, wait a minute, I can hear all these voices that when I came out of communist East Germany 
with the fall of the Berlin Wall, you know, these, these sound bites, when they, st they stopped when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly find myself 30 years later in a world where we have loads of crazy like sound bites, like make America great again, or we had with the Brexit thing, you know, take, let's take back control or um, things like this. And it's like, wait a minute, what is going on, you know? And, and one of the things that keeps me up at night is kind of how can we educate people? How can we bring people into more curiosity so we stop following people? We, we stop looking for this one big leader that we can all walk after and, and follow and, and think like he will make everything great again. You know, it's like, how, how can we bring people back to a place of taking responsibility for their lives. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things I discovered over the last five, six years really is like, we have the people, um, especially in kind of Western societies, going around and say like, the government needs to do this, the government needs to take care of this, the government needs to take care of this, the government needs to take care, take care of this. And I realized like, I lived in a country where the government took care of everything. And I know one thing for certain, that's not what the people look for. And the only way that we can begin to, you know, really bring change is not looking for the leader who brings the change. It is for me, take responsibility for my stuff, working through my stuff and become a blessing to the world around me. Like, you know, and how can we do this on a scale? You know, this is, this is one, of, one of the big things. How can we on a scale um, bring that type of, I think emotional intelligence back yep. into society. You know, that, that is a big question I have. Absolutely. That is a great question. And one that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more before we dive too deep into it. I'm curious then, if you're, if you're talking about individual responsibility, how does that, you know, how does that work with leading people first and thinking about others and, and considering leadership as a whole? Well, in my in my journey, um, I I made some dis great great discoveries, and I'm going to just share two stages that that were really kind of foundational uh, points where I realized something. The first time in the mid '90s, I was in the army in Germany, um, and um, I was um, I was a sergeant. And one of the things they asked me to do at the very end of my time there was to train a group of recruits like um, in Germany back then it was compulsory to go to the army so you had like basically a group of people who didn't want to be there <laughs> but I had another issue and I, I am just simply not the kind of person who can stand up and everybody sees me as a leader I didn't have the aura the kind of thing that we sometimes think you need to have as a leader and I just knew like you know for me to stand in front of those of this group of people and to just shout them down as you would typically do in this kind of command and control environment, I felt like if I try to do this, you know, I'm going to be a laughingstock in very, very, in very, very short time. So one of the things I did back then was something very courageous because nobody modeled this. And I said like, okay, I'm going to go and I just want them to be involved. So I walked into the room the very first time and I said, okay, guys, here's the deal. I do not have a platoon. We are one. I am part of this. I am inside. I don't want to be perceived as the guy who 
controls you all. I want to be with you. Secondly, if anybody has any ideas, if we do things together, we have time to discuss things, you know, please always be open, always contribute. You know, if I hold the map the wrong way around, don't just sit there and say nothing, you know, always be there, be observant, be part. And thirdly, I said like, you know, there will be times where there is command and control. We have no time to make decisions. I'm going to make a decision. The decision is wrong. And we all go through the mud. <laughs> and, and I said, like, in the third thing, and the fourth thing, here's my number. If you have any problems, give me a call. The crazy thing was that on the very first day, within 45 minutes, somebody asked me, like, when can I talk? And he said that he really has problems with leadership and he has a mental health problem and that he doesn't function in those kind of control environment very well and you know i then just spoke to achieve and he was gone in two days but i had created the environment in my first speech where somebody like him was able to stand up and come out with it so this was the positive story now the negative one is i worked on a church planting team that i founded myself i wanted to do something i was the three women and the three women and I, we did a disc test and we were all the four quadrants of disc. So I call it the perfect team. We were like the perfect team personality wise. And I mean, I just said like, okay, um, let's do this. Now we argued badly. We were so painful with each other. We were like, you know, it was not fun at all to be part of this team. The only thing that really kept us together and that kept our friendships going was that we had kind of a covenant to each other. We just said, like, we want to stick together. And this is the only thing that held us together. The thing that I took away from this time is we had no idea how to deal with this emotionally. And I had no idea how to deal with my own stuff. I was a controlling person. And if there's something I really, really learned is, you know, from the first experience I learned, hey, it's really cool to be, to be weak. I don't have to be perfect. It's good to bring people in and to, to let others participate and, and to give others responsibilities and leadership. This is a great way how you can, you know, get your own weaknesses covered. But in that other project, you know, where there was a lot of personal development and all of us necessary, you know, I realized like I didn't have my stuff together my emotional stuff was in a very very bad place and became very controlling um you know and it was i was definitely not a great leader and so for me this is the story that i sometimes say like you know i crashed the perfect team and it, the, the only reason for that was i was just not emotionally ready for a, a thing like this so you know so for me taking responsibility you know is get to know yourself and deal with this stuff in your own heart. I mean, I call it now, you know, we have to deal with our heartache. We have yeah. to face our heartache. We have to stop resisting our heartache. If we want to develop people around us, we have to develop us first. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the emotional intelligence that we have to have, or I should say even emotional maturity that we need to have, needs to be at a place where we can lead others. And you teach emotional logic. And by society's mindset, emotion and logic seem to be two completely <laughs> different things, right? So I, I, I've heard you talk about this before, but for those who are listening, can you share more about what is emotional logic and why it's an important skill for leaders? 
So emotional logic was developed by a general practitioner, like a doctor here in the UK. He actually lives just around the corner. I know him personally, so he's a good friend of mine. And he discovered in his work as a doctor that people came to him and basically asked for antidepressants or asked for psycho psychotherapy or things like this. And he began to realize very quickly that the people were not ill. They were not mentally ill. They just didn't have the skill set to deal with setbacks. And so he basically began to develop um, emotional logic, which basically he calls is an inbuilt capacity to deal with setbacks. Emotional logic really as a, as a method is a grieving tool. It teaches you how to grieve. And, and that's where most people like grieve. Yes, because grief doesn't just happen when we um, lose a person. It's not just in the, in the moment of bereavement where grief happens. Grief happens to us every single day, multiple times. It starts with the small things like, where's my phone? You know, like today I just had it, you know, yeah. oh, wait a minute, my, my phone was just moving, where is it gone? And, you know, and then like, oh, I hadn't lost there. So the grief that happens is here. So first of all, there's a loss. Where's my phone? That's where grief starts. It starts with the, with the realization I lost something. So I lost my phone. So it's a shock, an emotion, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's like, that's not there anymore. Now I'm getting possibly guilty. Oh, how stupid am I? Or I feel angry because, hey, my son maybe has taken it or things like this, you know? And then we go through this kind of, phase of, of, of those emotions and we go possibly into bargaining and start actually thinking like where was I last time? Where did I leave it? Where did I remember last time I had it? You know? And in the end, do you know where I found my phone? Between the cushions on the sofa. So that was <laughs> where my phone was. That's a grief process. And of course with the phone, that's very simple. It goes very quickly. We, we just go through this phase very easily and don't really think much about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's basically what emotional logic is. So emotional logic, what, what the emotion and logic part is, when something happens like a shock moment, like in, this, in the moment with the phone is, I had an immediate connection. Why? Because I lost the phone. I had an immediate loss connected to it. But if we have relationship problems, we become emotional and we try to fight the emotion off. Yeah. Okay. That's what we often do. We try to not feel this. We try to fight the other person off because it's your fault. You know, you make me feel angry. You make me feel guilty. You know, that type of stuff. And no, that's not true. We feel just because we do. We're not, I'm responsible for my feelings and I'm not responsible for yours. So where does the logic come in? So you have an emotion. How can we connect that emotion back to our mind, to the logic part? And how we do this is because it's grieving, we begin to ask a very, very simple question in the end. And that is, what are you losing? What are you afraid of losing? And that is such a profound question because if you spend a little bit of time on setbacks and sit down, what are you afraid of losing? To begin with, you know, like with my phone, it's like, oh, my phone is gone. I lost my phone. But if I start now sitting down and really go through the losses, then I begin to realize I lose confidence. I can look after my phone. I lose confidence to know what I'm doing, to remember things. You know, I might um, 
suddenly feel like, oh, there's a tension between me and my wife because now I have to tell her that my phone is gone. And, and so there's the, mm-hmm. a fear of losing the peace in a relationship. There is maybe fear losing the peace with my son because maybe I think that he has taken my phone. So there is an argument coming there. And to just learn to actually think, why am I feeling? And these losses, the combination of all those losses is what brings us this combination of emotional overwhelm because each one of those losses creates its own emotional response, but unconsciously. So emotional logic basically is training people to connect emotions back to the logic and actually make sense of what's happening um, and then and then create a decision on the basis of the outcome of that making sense that's really cool the thing that i'm that i think it requires is a level of self-awareness is what i'm hearing right yes. is this the self-awareness and this mindfulness to be able to stay a in the presence but b understand okay what is this thing i'm feeling and then moving forward with that uh to connect that, like you said, back to the brain from the heart to the brain. So you can make the next step that you need to make. And the thing that I thought was really interesting about emotion and the emotional logic is this, you talk about this quite often is this need for conflict, right? And when we think about in business, creating positive employee experiences and raising engagement, Conflict is that last thing that people want, right? But you've talked about, you know, avoiding conflict is actually harming the companies. It's harming the relationships uh, within teams and it creates disengagement. And your mentor actually taught you that conflict can deepen relationships and help you recognize differences to become stronger, right? Um, Through that uh, work that uh, the story that you've told I've heard you you tell between um, you and your wife about growing and actually having more conflict. Can you talk more about the importance of conflict and why leaders actually need to embrace it to resolve difficult issues at work? I think it starts with learning that conflict is not war or not all conflict is war. Not all conflict is loud. Not all conflict is bad um, in, 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 its, in its expression. Um, especially in the UK, I found when I use the word conflict, I already have loads of walls in front of me. People hate the word. <laughs> they have a very idea what that means, and it's very single-sided. So we, when we hear the word conflict, the only thing we hear is people shouting at each other. We might remember how our parents solved their conflicts and how they shouted at each other, how we have with our own relationships. So, so we have this one-sided understanding of what conflict is. For me, conflict is much, much wider. For me, conflict begins with a small disagreement. It begins with me saying like, you're different. I disagree with what you do or how you do it. I wouldn't do this. Just even that thought is, is a conflict. So it's not even going much further than that. And I think that is where the self-awareness becomes very, very powerful is to see conflict not as just a behavior and the unhelpful behavior, but see the conflict first of all within your own self and realize like, what is a, what is a great example with my, with my wife is like, you know, even, even just how we 
how we cook. Like like how we cook is one of the cool, cool things. You know, I'm the person when we when we cook. When she asks me, it's like, what do you want to do, or what do what do you think you want to have for for dinner? You know, and it's kind of her turn of cooking, so we share. But we know, and she's like, so what do you want to have for dinner? And then I tell her what I think like we could have for dinner. And for me, the 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 conversation is over at that point. For me, it's like. Yeah, come on, we made a decision. You know, sometimes then she starts cooking and then she comes back and says, like, how about we make this or we make this? And I get really like irritated because it's like, <laughs> did we just have this conversation? Is the conversation not just over? And the awareness of my own inner conflict in that moment is the first start to handle it in a different way. Because if I just react again to the feeling that I'm going to push her away. I just think like, didn't we just talk about this? It's like, well, why are we having the same conversation? But what I've had to learn was her way of processing is completely different. Mm-hmm. She processes while doing things. She creates, she's a creative. And so she creates not from the ready concept in the head and then starts creating. She does something and then an idea comes up and then she starts creating from that perspective. While for me, the conversation was over and we had to make the decision for her. This was just a starting point of a creative conversation. And why conflict is so important is you have to talk about that. You have to learn to not just sit there and like, ah, this, she's weird. Like, why is she always Mm -hmm. doing this? You know, And, and just withdraw yourself but actually coming out and have a conversation about it and say like, then we just had that conversation, you know? So, so what's happening? And then we, I started to learn from her that she just processes very different, differently to me. So she, for me, the decision was made for her. It was the start of a conversation. And while she does things, she has more ideas and she would like to put them all back in the pod and then make a new decision. Yeah. Now, the power of this is once we get to know each other, we become let, less irritated about that. So the conflict is still there and it will never go away. However, because now we have talked more about the deeper part of the processing, I get less irritated when it happens and she gets less offended when I say like, no, decision was made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we realize, and that is where the power of conflict is, is that if we take the self-awareness first, but also willing to curious with curiosity, actually ask the other person. So why are we having this conversation again? You know, I thought like we have made the decision, like why do we have to make the decision again? And to, to learn from the other person, this is where the power of conflict is because mm-hmm. suddenly I realized like, Oh wow, you are different now in a different, in a different space. This way of thinking helps me a lot because what you also can do with a creative thinking is every time I think about um, to bring some structure or calls or something from all my ideas, my head on paper, I really struggle to put the structure in, but she's the person I go to because what I know is she just sits there with a white whiteboard and a pen and she starts asking questions. And, and she's not processing anything of this. She's just pulling the stuff out of me. And then mm-hmm. I suddenly begin to see, but I need her. So she's very, very different, but I know I can now tap into her resources because I know her resources. Yep. And that's why we have to embrace conflict 
we miss completely. We miss out when we don't. I love that. And I, as you're sharing this story between you and your wife, all I'm hearing or thinking about, not hearing, but thinking about is at work, those leaders or teams where they say, okay, we've made a decision. This is what we're going to do. And then I've worked in teams where people have come back and been like, well, but what about this? This might work. And, you know, whoever it is, either the manager or someone else in the team is just like, no, we already made the decision. This is what we're going to do. But again, you can come up with more innovative and maybe better ideas or solutions if you come back to the table. The thing that I want to ask then is, you know, taking this into a business context, what do you say to executives or managers who say, that's great. I'm, I'm down to have more conflict and have these difficult conversations, but it just takes too much time. We just need a solution now. So how, how do you balance having conflict and acting quickly? And I think that is where, you know, the acting quickly is usually something that doesn't happen too often. There are emergency situations. And if they're not, then the structure, there is something wrong in the structure. There's already something wrong in the in the long, long processing and, and planning in the planning season. If if everything is a short moment, we have to make the decision right now. You know, if we don't act now, everything falls apart. I think then there is something deadline driven and that needs change. So if if that's the problem, I mm-hmm. I worked in an organization, you know, where my role was under such pressure for like a three, four days but then had no pressure for three weeks until we had the next deadline. And that that was a massive pressure for four, three days. Mm -hmm. And what I began to realize there was the company was completely deadline driven, but the customers were not deadline driven because in their relationship to the customer, the deadlines were never properly communicated to the customer and Mm. there was no buffer built in. So that's maybe the first one. So if you have that problem that you think like everything needs a solution now and you can not have those type of good conversation as a team to bring and brainstorm and actually bring a good solution to something, then the planning needs to change. Otherwise that happens as an emergency. If you have a team where these conflict conversations are normalized and you know you have a voice. If everybody knows I can speak, I can bring in my stuff, I can bring in my ideas, people understand each other, how they function and how they bring their own stuff in. If then something happens, and that's what I did with my, with my team at the army. If then something happens where the management, the senior management comes to me and says like, Sven, this needs to be done today. Sorry about this. And I have to go to my team and say like, guys, I'm really sorry, but today we don't have time for planning. We don't, I know it's not the best solution, but what I came up with is we're gonna do this. The team will be with me. It's not a problem because we are connected. We are deeply connected. We know each other and we know that the system does not always give the space. But if this is a continuous problem, then I think there is something wrong in the system to start with. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Set up the foundation to have this space, to have this conflict. And then if it necessitates it, go, go to a quick directive uh, mode, but know that it's a temporary one, not a permanent one. Absolutely love that. 
And I want to ask another question similar to this is, you know, business leadership and communism are obviously on drastically different levels. And you've been in both, right? You grew up in communism and now you work in the business side of things, coaching and developing solutions for organizations. You were forced to realize that you had been indoctrinated into communism. And I think that's, again, they're not on the same level, but I find similarities and parallels of how many of us in the business world were forced into believing and growing up in this command and control style of leadership. And that was the only way to be a leader was command and control. So Mm -hmm. as a society and in our businesses, how do we break out of this old command and control mindset so we can bring this better, more patient discussion inside organizations? I think it starts with each one of us on a personal level. Um, I mean, to break through through my own indoctrination began with becoming curious, to actually begin to question the things. I mean, the problem I had was, it took me 10 years. Honestly, you know, it was 1999. I remember, I don't remember the exact date, but I remember roughly the time was somewhere between September, November, 1999. And I suddenly had talked to a leader about some experience who was not my leader, but he was a leader um, in, in some respect. And, uh, and I shared a few experiences I had. And he said, like, yeah, when I was younger, I had the same thing. And I went to this kind of college type of thing. And they told us this is not right. And so don't worry about it. And that what I became aware of was like, wait a minute, you went to an educational institution and just because they told you so, you just switched your opinion about something. And that was where like, wait a minute, that happened to me. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I believed everything the teacher said and everything that was around me. And that's when I realized that I actually always have only made my own opinions on the basis of other people's opinion. So I basically had just created, you know, I might have seen three or four opinions, but in the end, I would kind of try to choose like, oh, yeah, I kind of go with this opinion. And then follow the leader. As I said in the beginning, you know, follow the leader. But what I realized is like, that's not how it works for me, you know, and I began to question everything. I actually stopped reading books. I stopped trying to stop the external influences and turn to observing, learning by observation, learning by feeling. You know, then when this whole thing with conflict came in a few years later, this where suddenly like, this really empowered me to know like, I can have conflict, it's okay. I can have the tension. I don't have to solve the tension. I don't have to have peace in a sense of nothingness. It's not nirvana. Yeah, that's not peace. You know, peace is not the absence of conflict. Those kind of things I could let go of and realize, like, I can think for myself. I can actually really create my own viewpoint. And that is, I think, where this starts. It's, again, this emotional part. If something happens around you and something inside you, something very deeply, doesn't have to be a loud voice, this small, tiny voice inside you tells you, really something is not quite right (laughs) then begin to listen and ask you know begin to see like okay voice what are you trying what are you really trying to tell me what's triggered right now here because in the end there is no one fits all answer to that question um i I like you know i'm 
I've been reading Mike, Mike McCanty's book about believership. And one of the things that he very, very clearly said there was like, you know, this belief that there is this type of leader, there's this style, there's this person, there's this type of person that is a good leader, the other type of person is not a good leader. It's rubbish. Mm-hmm. Leadership begins with, you know, for me, leadership begins with discovering myself and then seeing myself in my position in the bigger world. And therefore, if we want to see change, don't try to change around you first. Begin to really discover yourself and then the change will come out of you. It's, you know, this is what I see people happening around me all the time. I was not empathetic. I had no compassion, you know, three years ago, my wife can tell you this, you know, and now people say like, oh, Sven, you're so compassionate and you're so empathetic. And I think, wow what happened to me, you know, and and it begins with this inside journey. So my authority to bring change or to, to, to make a difference did not come given to me from the outside. It began to happen by going inside. So this emotional stuff, listen to your emotions. They have to tell you something. That that's so, that's so great. Um, and, And again, you really brought that full circle for us here um, I know that we're coming up on time, but I know that there's a topic that you really want to talk about. At the time of this recording, it's currently March uh, and it's Women's History Month. Tomorrow is actually International Women's Day, March 8th. And you wanted to talk about how we as men need to shift our mindset to better invest in women and support women. Can you expand on that a little bit and uh, talk about what we need to do to better support the women that are in our lives? You know, it's one of those things um, that one of the, my curious questions for a long time has been, why do we have these women in business meetings? Why do we have these women in business network meet, networks? Um, why do we have this thing where women try to gather together and, and, and bring something new? And, you know, then you have these voices and you hear men saying, like, oh, why do we need this? Why do we need this? And I began to realize something in my conversations with people that when I speak to them, when I speak to women and I share with them how I deal with my wife and how I'm really interested in investing into her, find, learning her to find herself, to standing on her own two feet, to not try to merge with me or become like me or things like this, but really discover herself and become more herself. And, you know, re- I really encourage her difference to me. And what I began to hear from women is like, wow, never heard a man saying that. And that's why I think why I started waking up. Could it be that us men have driven those women into those network meetings, into those women in business things, simply because we didn't recognize them as women and as females, you know? uh, We talk about this kind of feminine and masculine side of things, you know, and I say like, Nurturing is not feminine. There is a masculine way of nurturing a child and there's a feminine way of nurturing a child. I, I, I think I sometimes like, well, we have both in us. And I think, why do we make these things? Why can't we just say like this, this way and this way? And it's both nurturing. I'm nurturing my child. Of course I do. But I do this a very different way as my wife does. So what I would love as men to really start thinking about is how can we first of all, discover the value of the feminine side and then begin to invest into that feminine side and actually raise women 
as who they are with, with their nurturing side. You know, just imagine now with more people-centered ideas of businesses and teams. I, I said to a few women, you know, who also work in that space, and I said, like, you know what? I want to help you. I want to see you because we need this mothering side as well in the business. Now, the other thing as men we have to realize is, um, and that's a scientific fact, we are stuck very often emotionally. We take a long time until we mature emotionally. So many men only mature around their 40s emotionally. So we're stuck in our childhood, in our teens, and we deal with women. And so when you come into leadership like this, you lead like a teen. You just want to get control. You just want to go competition. You know, they're not leading like a father. And that's the other thing, you know, as, as men, it's like to invest into this younger generation and to really help them to mature, not to just do, not to just, no, just become dads, like, like father figures, like mentoring. You know, we have so much, so many problems with, with family issues now that many children would only grow up under a female. They don't know what it means to have a male properly in their lives. And hey, man, if you're out there, if, you, if you're feeling like you really have a fathering heart, Let's adopt a few people, not, not literally in a sense of making them your sons, but you know, bring people into your life and see if you can invest into them. And let's raise a generation of mature men who have this fathering, nurturing side to them so that they can work alongside as partners to a mothering female side. And if we can bring these two things back into leadership and business, you know, I think the whole atmosphere is going to change dramatically. Yeah. So as men, let's, let's really go inside and ask ourselves, have we ever seen these females really with their feminine side and spirit that they want to bring to us or just as objects? Because that has definitely been a problem. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that, Sven. Um, as we close out, one last question for you. What is the impact you want to leave on the people you lead? The very simple thing that I want to have achieved um, when I leave this earth or through my work is um, people ask me like, Sven, you could invest into marriages, you could invest into schools and children. And I say, like, the reason why I invest into leaders is I want to invest into those leaders and raise their emotional intelligence, their emotional maturity, because what I've learned is that they begin to realize that the same skills I teach them as leaders they can use in their own families with their partners and with their children. So my ultimate hope of all my work is that we have a generation of children who are raised with more emotional maturity at an early age. I teach the stuff, I teach adults, I teach it my seven-year-old son um, because I never had those resources, but they are so simple and easy to teach that I teach it my son. And I, my impact is far beyond me and far beyond the generation I teach. You know, for me, it's really, I want to see a generation grow up that is when I'm gone, you know, I have a legacy. And even though they might not know me, they don't need to know my name. I'm not interested in the name. I just want to see a generation that's emotionally mature at an early, fairly early age. So we can create a proper long-term change in society. That's my heart. That's why I do what I do. Beautiful. 
Well, I want to share one more piece of praise from Tony McClelland, who was actually on the show as well, but she shared, Sven demonstrates great knowledge around the area of trauma. He has a unique style of delivery, great patience and insight that in conjunction with his experiences brings much insight and learning to those wanting to move forward in the area of trauma. So Sven, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. What would you like our listeners to do next? What do you want to do next? If you want to know more about emotional logic, please make contact. You know, I'm happy to kind of give this away. I mean, people walk out of my discovery chats with a lot of inspiration already. So, but if you want to learn about a skill set, about a method to really bring sense into your own emotional life to the point that you can actually take it away and bring it to the next generation and to the people around you, then I would love you to just be in touch with me, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, just visit my website. And the other thing you can definitely do, people love TEDx talks. Look for my TEDx talks. The three or my three keys to a life without walls. That's the title of the TEDx talk, you know, and in the link below there, you will also find my website and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll be sure to link your TEDx talk uh, in the show notes, as well as one interview, um, that really dug into your background that I found a lot of value that we didn't necessarily have time for. Uh, but that interview uh, really got into your story and all of those key moments in your life. So I'll be sure to link that one as well um, because I thought I found a lot of value in that as well. But Sven, thank you again for taking the Sunday evening to talk to me um, about your work and how you lead people first. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this conversation with Sven Lau here on the Leading People First podcast. If you like this episode, click subscribe and share it with a fellow People First leader to give them the courage and assurance to lead through loss and conflict. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you loved about this episode on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.